Wow, it is, uh, I, I can't believe it's May already. Anybody else? Like, it's, that's ridiculous. Um, I got to tell you, though, I got to live out one of my childhood fantasies yesterday. And I'm so excited about, I, I actually have a picture to share with you. Go ahead and put that up there. I officiated a wedding as Darth Vader yesterday. It was awesome. It was awesome. It was a bit swampy inside that suit after five hours, but it was awesome. And so, yeah, a lot of fun. On uh, May the 4th, Star Wars Day, we had a wedding, and uh, yep, I got to be Darth Vader. I've dreamed. I, now, when I was five years old and I first was introduced to Darth Vader, uh, and I thought I might like to be Darth Vader, I had no idea that a wedding would be involved. But even still, it was pretty cool. I enjoyed it. So there was that. All right, let's go ahead and, and uh, dive into uh, this message. We're coming into the close, you know, the final stretch of this uh, book that we've been going through. This letter of Paul's that we call First Thessalonians, and uh, and so we're in chapter five today of First Thessalonians. It's the last chapter. We'll hit one more week on it next week. But um, today we're going to kind of get into some territory that that kind of goes in line or kind of hand in hand with. Uh, what we talked about on Easter. On Easter, the, you know, Paul was dealing with this idea of we have this hope in the resurrection, this future hope, uh, that whether we are alive or have passed on already when Christ returns, the, the messages that Christ is returning, he's going to set all things right, he's going to fully usher in his kingdom, and we have this big future hope, and it's great, hope in the resurrection. And so kind of hand in hand with that, he goes into this kind of a uh, little paragraph of warnings about the day of the, what he calls the day of the Lord. <coughs> and now, I was talking about Star Wars just a second ago and how I was five years old in 1977 when that movie came out, which meant I'm pretty much a child of the 80s. Uh, you know, my uh, late elementary, junior high, high school years were all throughout the 80s. And it was just a different time, a different time uh, to to be a kid in the 80s. I know as a boy in the 80s, it was, it was sometimes torture being a boy in the 80s because like what kids today call bullying in the 80s, we just called Monday, right? <laughs> That's just, it's just kind of the way things were. And you just kind of got used to that. So my whole life as a young man was just constant, like I had to learn to walk down the hallway, books in front of me, right? Because you never know when somebody's just going to go right there. And, and, and other things, or, or that constant threat of, hey, Myers, and I look and I see this, and then it's boom, right in the arm. Remember that? Seeing this? And so just this constant threat of being punched, pummeled, tripped, uh, shoved, shoved into a locker, shoved, you know, whatever, just constant. It was, it was nonstop. It was absolute torture being a young man in the 80s, and, and uh, it, it, was, it was just absolutely ridiculous. And so, but as you went through that, you learned, you just learned to be constantly on your guard. Like, if I wasn't constantly on my guard, I, I mean, I dodged so many punches and kicks and everything throughout my childhood that it's ridiculous, because you just learn if you're not on your guard, you're going to regret it. You're just going to regret it, right? So, there's my really beautiful segue into what Paul's going to say here, which is he's basically telling us to be on our guard, on our guard. And he and he and Paul does this. Paul Paul's a wordy gentleman where he, if you know, the only thing better than a really good example 
to drive his point home is why not add five more examples of how to drive this point home? And so he kind of does that. He gives us uh, this, you know, as he's encouraging the church to stay alert and be ready. Um, he, he gives us a lot of different little analogies here. So let's look at what he says. He says, so First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, starting with verse 1, starts off. He says, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. And the, what's understood after that is, but here we go, I'm writing a bunch to you, all right? And he says, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. This is a, this whole thief in the night uh, analogy is something that, um, that Jesus used, Paul uses, I think Peter uses it a couple times as well, this idea that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, very unexpected. And he says, while people are saying there is peace and security, uh, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So why that whole peace and security thing? The reason that's in quotes is because that was kind of the motto of the Roman Empire. And so it was kind of their propaganda campaign that they would, that, that they would just constantly spew and put out little messages and little, you know, whatever, all over the Roman Empire of peace and security. Peace, like, this is why the Roman Empire is good for you and good for your city and good for your country. We bring peace and security. It's all about peace and security. You know, this is this kind of government thing. So Paul here is kind of giving a little dig at that, going, while the whole world around you is saying peace and security, peace and security, you need to know that it, it is not as it seems. And it, it will not be peaceful, and you are not secure. You need to be alert. He's, and then he uses that example of, of you know, his second example here of the, the pregnant woman. Like a, like a pregnant woman with labor pains, you never know when it's going to hit. You just have to be ready, right? Just, and if you've been through that a few times, you know that that can be very sudden. So here he goes. He says, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. So he, here he said, going to come like a thief, thief, thief in the night, but he's like, but you guys, you're not living in darkness, so the thief shouldn't surprise you, because when do thieves come? In the dark. He's like, but you guys are living in the light. He says, for you are children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness. And then he goes on, and he says this, verse six, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. All right. So here he gives he gives us this, this this kind of wordy paragraph that basically is just encouraging us that all is not secure, all is not peaceful. There is coming a day when all this peace and security is going to come crumbling down around you, and you need to be ready for it. Don't let it catch you off guard. And there's kind of this weird uh, dual message at, at parts of this. It seems like he's talking about Christ's return. And then in other parts, it seems like he's talking about 
things getting rougher with the Roman Empire. And so, so it's probably both is, is what he's referring to here. He's probably referring to, to, to both. Be ready for Christ's return. Be ready for when things go south with the government and you become persecuted or, or whatever else. And, and in fact, just a handful of years after he writes this letter, that's exactly what happens. Rome sacks Jerusalem and, I mean, completely destroys the city and, and you know, everybody goes fleeing. And just like Jesus predicted, you know, when he was here, and so there's all of that undertones in this as well. But as kind of for our purposes, I want to focus on this main point. So here's the main point. We need to wake up, stay ready, hold fast to the gospel, and encourage one another. Wake up, stay ready, hold fast to the gospel, and encourage one another. So the wake up and stay ready part is just like, I love the way he, he words it, in, like we are children of the daylight, not children of the darkness. And we've talked about this before. John, in his first letter that he wrote, what we call First John, talks about this over and over. If you say you walk in the light, but you're actually walking in the darkness, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. Over and over, He uses that light and dark uh, analogy over and over and over. And it's that concept of, as we as followers of Jesus Christ, we do things out in the open, we live in the light of Christ's love, but we also live in the light of transparency. We live in the light of, of not, we don't have to hide anything. We don't have to hide. We should just be out front, open, living lives that will bear up the weight of the sunlight, so to speak, that will, that will bear up the weight of transparency and visibility, that sort of thing. And if we, are, if we find ourselves constantly hiding who we are, which this is such a trap, man, this is such a trap for for Christians to fall into. One of the things I love about Living Hope Church is that we tend to be a church that is, we're an authentic group. I'm not saying nobody's hiding anything, but generally speaking, we're an authentic group, okay? But when you become a person of faith, it is such a temptation to put on this mask of righteousness or perfection or whatever else and try to pretend to be somebody that you're not. Like, I get this, I want... <laughs> As pastor, I get this all the time. I'm exposed to this stuff all the time because um, there, especially people who are maybe um, either somewhat new to faith or they are, you know, faith is not necessarily the center part of their life. Um, people, as soon as they see the pastor, like put on the mask. It happens, it, it happens in comical ways all the time. So like when I was um, a youth pastor in the Bay Area, I was with a particular church that the denomination was a teetotaling denomination, no alcohol at all, right? And uh, I remember one time we went out to dinner with this, this family, and, and they had a, a little boy, upper elementary age, middle, mid-elementary age, and we're, we're looking through the menu, and he sees one of these mixed drinks in the menu, and he's like, Mom, that's the one you love to drink, Right? And she, all of a sudden, we, we hear him go, ow, why'd you kick me? <laughs> it's the greatest. You can't, like, that's the best dinner I've ever been a part of. Like, that was so, so great, right? And so, like, stuff like that just, just, just happens. And, 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 and you, I mean, anybody who's been around me very long knows that you don't really have to hide anything from me. I'm not going to, I don't really care that much. But... <laughs> <laughs> in all the right ways, I don't care that much. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, there, there is this temptation to kind of, 
you know, we put on the perfect face, we put on the, you know, the masks, and we, we you know, because we don't want people thinking that, we'd like to, we would like for people to think that, hey, we, we're right with Jesus, and we, we really love him, and we've got our lives all straightened out. But what we all generally know about each other, if you, you know, if you're, your head's not in the sand, you know that every one of us struggled in some area of our life. Every one of us has some area of our life that we wish we could hide, right? And, and generally speaking, if we try to hide those areas of our life, it usually goes bad for us. We, we, we get found out eventually, right? Because if you're, if you're trying, here's the thing about Jesus. Like if, you're, if, you're, if part of your life is something you'd like to keep in the dark, but you're also trying to follow Jesus who's in the light, the tricky part of that is to follow him. You have to at least occasionally kind of step into the light, step into the light and get back in the dark, right? And that's what we do. So it's like, okay, I, I love Jesus. I got this stuff I haven't taken care of, but I, but I got to love Jesus. So, okay, light, 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 dark, hurry, get in the dark again, right? And we do that. And that's as active as I'm going to be all day long right there. But, <laughs> but, we, but, we, but we do that and and here Paul gives us this really kind of practical but beautiful reminder of you've been called out of the dark. You've been called out of that. And if there are areas of your life that you still feel like you need to keep hidden, then there are areas of your life that you have not submitted to Christ in. And as John would say, if you say you're in the light, but you're still tiptoeing around in the dark, you're a liar, and the truth's not in you. That, that's, that's hard to hear for us. That's hard for us to, because it sounds like some sort of call to perfection, which we know we're not called to perfection, but we are, I think, called to, to transparency, which for some of us is really scary. Depending on how you were raised, depending on just your emotional makeup about things, there are some of you, I just know human nature enough to know, there are some of you in this room that you really struggle just kind of owning who you are. Just fully being yourself, warts and all, owning who you are. You feel like you have to present versus just be you. And I just want to encourage you and say that if you've come into this place this morning feeling like you have to present a version of yourself that's not the authentic you, you're doing a whole lot of work for nothing. Because hang around us a little while and you'll see we got just as many warts as you have. Got just as many hang-ups as you have. Um, and most of us don't mind showing them. We just, we just be ourselves. and We try to submit ourselves regularly to Christ and go, Okay, all these hang-ups I have, I want to hand those over to you. I'd like for you to, to help me get some victory over some of this junk in my life. But in the meantime, I don't have to pretend. I don't have to pretend. I'm going to walk in the light, and the light exposes some things. You ever get in one of those like super obnoxious makeup mirrors? Like, I, ladies, I don't, know, I don't know why you do that. That is the most ridiculous thing in the world to me. Like, you, you're going to miss one pore of makeup or something. You're like, I don't understand that at all. But you put your face in, like, you're like, holy cow, I cannot possibly look like that in real life, do I? And, and it's just, it, but the light does that. The light reveals all the flaws, unfortunately. 
But the, here's the thing is that you, you are a part of the human race and the whole, all of us were flawed in some way. So get over yourself and just, just allow yourself to kind of, you know what, I'm going to follow Jesus. And Jesus called me to follow him. He didn't call me to be perfect. He just said, follow me. You look at Jesus' followers all throughout Scripture. None of them were perfect. None of them. Half of them did way worse things than you've ever done or considered doing. And that was okay. They just follow him. And Christ works out the holiness and the righteousness and the, you know, all the morality. He works that stuff out. The Holy Spirit in us works that stuff out eventually. It doesn't happen overnight necessarily. We just keep following him. Imperfect people kind of stumbling along, following him the best that we can. He tells us to, like, part of this message that he gives us is, is that idea of kind of holding fast to the gospel. And, and when I say hold fast to the gospel, what I mean is don't give up. Put your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like, be faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when I talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, what I'm talking about is the, is the story of Jesus. That's what the gospel is. It's the good news. That literally means good news. So we're talking about be like have faithfulness towards the gospel, the, the, the good news, the story of Jesus Christ. It's that idea of knowing that Jesus was this promised Messiah who has set everything right and conquer sin and death and all of that, and that he has risen from the dead and invites us into this resurrection life, and someday he'll return and set everything right so everything will be holy and just and, and his kingdom will reign forever. That, that whole thing, that's, that's the story. That's the gospel. That's the good news of what's happening, what happened and what is continuing to happen in the world right now. And the, and the trick, I think, for us is to not just know about the story, but to find ourselves in that story. To kind of figure out where you are in that story because you are in the story. Every single one of us have a place in that story. For us in, you know, 2019, California, our place in the story is that we, are, we have locked arms with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we are helping him to usher in his kingdom into this world. The work that we do for him now has, has eternal implications as he ushers in his kingdom to this world. We fit in that story this way, we are resurrection people. We are people of the light, walking in the light, walking in the light of the resurrection, resurrected ourselves, fully resurrected someday. That, that, I mean, that, that's where we fit in. So be faithful to that story. Like Because here, here's the thing that we've been, unfortunately, trained to do for decades, the last several decades, is that we have made the gospel, we've made the good news into some sort of kind of uh, self-help junk. Like, like the story of the gospel has become, you know, Jesus loves you and he wants to have a personal relationship with you. And if you get a personal relationship with him, then all your relationships will be better and you'll probably get a better job and your bank account will increase and you'll just have a generally better life. If you're following him, your life just will improve, right? Well, that, that works out sometimes for us, but it doesn't work out for everyone. And it certainly doesn't work out for everyone outside of a free nation. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like that story, for the gospel to be true, it needs to hold up in every context all over the world. And it's not a self-help gospel. If you came here looking like, okay, I'll back that up and say, 
that is an okay entry point. Like if you came here today and you're like, man, my life is screwed up. I need some help. And now Jeff is sitting up here telling me that's not what Jesus is all about. No, no, no. Jesus wants to help you. Okay, he does. He wants, he, he wants to draw you into life, new life, raised from dead into new life, life with him, right? He wants to do that. So that's an okay entry point. But at some point, like learn what the story is actually all about. Find yourself in his story instead of cramming him into your story and, and, and then do life in the light with him. It's about so much more than just you. It's about him, and it's about his kingdom, and it's about living to glorify him. And then the last thing, other thing he says there is he really encourages us to encourage one another. This is critical. Like, we have to be about encouraging one another. And not, like, sometimes we look at encouragement as this kind of, you know, just, hey, you know, fist bumps and high fives and, and, you know, you'll be fine. Keep it up. Don't give up. You know, whatever. Like little posters with cats hanging on and, you know, things like that. Like that's not the kind of encouragement that, that Christ is encouraging or that Paul is encouraging us towards right here. What, what he's trying to get us to do is encourage each other in Christ. Like our encouragement for one another should not be to build up each other's self-esteem and this kind of you can do it, you can do it philosophy, which, okay, that might be appropriate from time to time in certain situations, but the kind of encouragement he's talking about is encouraging each other closer to Christ that our speech should be laced with gospel at all times, that we should be, when, when, when we see a brother or sister really struggling in, in our faith and the idea is not just simply a pat on the back and a you can do it and you're worth more than you think you're worth. Instead, it's like reminding them who Christ is and who Christ is in them and the power of the Holy Spirit in them to be able to get them places and doing things that they never thought that they could do and, and tackling life in ways that they never thought they could tackle, not because they're so great, but because Christ is so great in them. Encourage each, each other in Christ. In Christ. And as we encourage each other in Christ, then that's what helps us kind of all together move towards this new kingdom that we're constantly praying and inviting Christ to bring about in this world. It's difficult at times. It's difficult to stay encouraged. It's difficult to keep our eyes focused on Christ. It's, it's hard to, to like Never take your eyes off of Jesus or to always be living in the light and not in the dark. It's hard to make decisions and kind of structure your life in that way to where that happens all the time. And we need encouragement. I was talking to somebody just yesterday about how, you know, kind of a very self-sufficient type person and, and you know, a person that doesn't like to ask for help or, or, or advice. And I was just like, you know, every single one of us need advice from time to time. Every single one of us need a person who can keep us on the right path or several people or a crowd of people who can kind of help corral us and keep us on the right path and encouraging us forward and giving us advice that we need. Like, we all need that. And without that, we... what Here's the, here's the, here's the myth, what happens when you kind of follow the myth of, you know, me and Jesus is all I need. I don't really need church. It's such a myth. And the reason that when you get into... Me and Jesus is all I need, and I don't need a community of people to help me along. 
what that, that me and Jesus relationship ends up almost every single time turning into just simply me and me. It becomes self-worship. It really quickly kind of devolves into self-worship. You become the highest authority in your life because you have isolated yourself from, from you know, people who will help you along. You've isolated yourself from spiritual help and spiritual authority. And, and eventually, you'll, you'll begin to isolate yourself from the Word, and you'll begin to isolate yourself even from God. And you will have convinced yourself that I've got this great one-on-one relationship with God but if you were to draw a picture of him, he'd probably look just like you. And so we need to be a people who will encourage each other forward in Christ together. We need each other. I love it. This is the same phrase he used at the end of the last chapter that we read on Easter. Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. He's like, you guys are doing a great job of it. Keep up that good work. Keep encouraging one another important. I don't know. I feel like we're a pretty encouraging church. I think we could be a more encouraging church. Absolutely. And, and so I, I'll encourage all of us, me included, in the same way that Paul has encouraged us. And let's just say, okay, let's take something that we're doing pretty well and uh, let's, let's do it even better than we had thought possible. Like, what if we kind of became people who were like continually looking for ways to encourage each other in Christ? In Christ. I, I don't know that there's any limit to how far we could go as a church if we were constantly encouraging each other forward in our faith. We need each other. So be an encourager and allow yourself to be encouraged. Allow yourself to be encouraged. Allow the, you know, I, I know, here's, here's the thing about Christians. Some of them are really weird. Some of them are really weird. And, and some of them want to give you advice that is, uh, is just dumb. And, and so I get that. I get this fear of like, uh, if I start letting people in my life and, and giving me advice, it's, it's just going to annoy me to death or it's just going to be, you know, what? and I get that. I get that fear. I live in that fear constantly, right? I just do. But, but this is what I know, is that for every, you know, lunatic Christian, there's a whole bunch of really, really good ones. <laughs> there's a whole bunch of really, really authentic, loving, genuine people who have great guidance for you. I can't tell you, like, I, I'm sure, you know, my pride, my ego would probably like to think that, you know, as pastor, I, I, I give the very best advice. <laughs> you guys know that's not true. You guys absolutely know that's not true. And what I've learned is that, like, I have benefited over these last 11 years now. I've benefited from the wise counsel of you all in my life probably far more than you've benefited from mine. Um, that there have been genuine times that many of you have come around me and helped me see things that I was not seeing. Helped me think of of you know parts of of just the way things are that I I wasn't thinking of and to begin with and this relationship is not just uh, me on top and you know everybody else falling 
underneath me and turn some sort of organizational chart. That's not the way we do church. It, I hope it is for you as it is for me. It's a mutually beneficial relationship. We encourage each other. We guide each other. We help. We, we all submit to Christ and we all submit to one another. And in doing that, there's what, what takes place is this really, really beautiful thing called church. Really beautiful. The way church should be beautiful. The way the world knows church should be beautiful and most often doesn't see it. And over and over, the stories I hear from people are, I'll brag a little bit right now and just say, people regularly come to me and say, I, I came to Living Hope Church. I found something different, something unexpected, something that I didn't know existed. I didn't feel judged. I felt loved. I felt cared for. I found truth. I found people who not only loved me, but loved my family and helped me along. And that's what church should be like. Amen? That's what it should be like. So I'm going to encourage you this morning to keep encouraging one another. In fact, let's make it a competition. Let's see who can be the best encourager. You won't get a trophy or anything, but we'll notice, all right? <laughs> we'll notice. Just go at it. Just go for it, all right? And just really encourage one another. All right. Let's pray. Let's pray this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. He said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, you, you teach us to pray right there at the end that you would deliver us from evil. And I think that echoes what Paul was trying to teach us this morning in his letter. There is real evil in the world that we need to be on watch for. That there is real evil disguised as peace and security at times that we need to be wise enough to see the difference. And there is real evil that we need your help in delivering us from it. So God, we pray that again this morning. We ask that you would just deliver us from the evil that's out there and help us to be so alert and so walking in the light that we see it and it does not catch us off guard. Turn us all into little prophets, God, where we can see kind of the, the times that we live in, see how they're coming at us and know how to respond in a way that's glorifying to you. So we'll just give ourselves to you one more time and ask you to shape us into the people, into the church that you've called us to be. God, if there's anybody in the room right now that is considering faith in you and not sure if they should, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just continue to reveal himself to them and you would just continue this process of drawing them in closer and closer and making this life in you begin to make some sort of sense for them. I pray that you would surround them with people who would help them in that process and encourage them. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen. Amen. All right. Everybody have a great week. We'll see you next week.